Yeah. Yeah. Let me drop exclusive game from my exclusive mind. You be out here chasing fame. I stay steady on my grind. Zero diamonds, zero diamonds. Thank you for tapping into the Exclusive Minds podcast. Today we're going to be having an exclusive conversation with exclusive content from exclusive minds. I'm your host, Rook, and Joe. Let's get right into it. All right. Welcome back. So this is episode number 10. Double digits. Episode. Yeah. So this is a milestone in more ways than one. So on today's episode... We kind of uh, hinted at this on uh, episode nine um, late last week, and hopefully everybody had a Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Um, so we have a special interview today with Carol Baskin of, uh, unfortunately, I guess, uh, Tiger King fame, but uh, more importantly, uh, Big Cat Rescue, which is the organization that she runs that uh, helps rescue big cats and is really actually a tremendous uh, organization and she does a lot of really good things uh for helping out cats so we are really thrilled to have her on um and i'll let dave actually go into how this uh this happened because it's kind of interesting right it really wasn't well wasn't necessarily about the cat rescue as much as it was about crypto and nft um and that's really where we'll spend most of our time talking with carol um but yeah dave do you want to just talk about how you Absolutely. So when we uh, when we spoke, it was over a thing called Twitter Spaces, which is relatively new. Um, it's kind of like Instagram Live, just like without the video. So, you know, I got on there with this project that I'm following with the NFT scene. Uh, shout out to Typical Tigers. They introduced us to Carol Baskin and I'm involved with the project, like with, you know, owning some of the artwork and all that different type of stuff. And we have kind of this outline of a collab on the way long story short i was on the panel for that and she was on the panel as well and uh she shot me a follow and i followed her back shot you know shot my shot shot a dm and she gladly accepted it so you know we have to give our utmost respect to carol baskin for coming onto the podcast which came out to be like a really good conversation that we had yeah i think we originally had her scheduled for 30 minutes and it probably ran the better part of 45 to 50 minutes so uh, again thanks to her for actually uh indulging us um, going over time and, and spending that time with us. And I, it, it's really good because I know we talk crypto all the time. And this is uh, is a good conversation because, again, it, it starts to expose a little bit of those people in the real world who are leveraging both crypto from a donations perspective and how that all works, as well as NFTs, right, from a donation perspective and, and sponsoring cats. And, and, again, a little bit about how that works as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it kind of just is an extension of our, uh, one of our favorite topics. Um, yep. we didn't ask her about Yeezys, but maybe, maybe we'll have to get her back <laughs> Coffee, on. Coffee, anything? Did we get anything yeah. on there? <laughs> no. So it was just a pure crypto conversation, but we'll, uh, we'll have all the show links for her, her, uh, big rescue, um, um, big cat rescue and, uh, all the legislative work she's doing for that cause as well as the donation links. And, uh, yeah, so let's just uh, jump right into the interview and uh, listen to, to the conversation. So thanks, everybody, and here is the interview. All right, I think we're good. I think it's recording. Sweet. Before we start, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to come sit down with us. You know, I know you probably have a crazy busy schedule. Well, I'm happy to do it. You guys are talking about stuff that I find very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you and us both. It's uh, been kind of interesting. We actually started this podcast with the intent of um, talking about generational differences. You know, obviously, Dave's a little bit younger than me. I'm in my 50s. And we thought it would be kind of interesting just to get on and just talk about, you know, how 
uh, Dave views life and how I view life and talk about the nuances and differences. And we stumbled on crypto, I think, really off the out of the uh, out of the gate. This is our 10th episode. So we uh, we've, I think we've been talking about crypto every episode since. And uh, we've actually kind of got this thing where we're doing a contest where I picked one, he picked one, we're tracking it. And we're just trying to get the get um, the vibe down. And so, uh, yeah, Dave stumbled, uh, I guess, upon you on a uh, on a Twitter sphere, Tw- um, uh, Twitter space. Yeah, we. Uh, I I think you're you're with the project Typical Tigers, right? Like you, me. I think me and you were both on there, and then <clears throat> we both were on the speaking panel. And I just like sent her a DM. I was just like, Hey, Carol, like, would you like to come on the podcast? And she was like, Yeah, I'll come on. Like, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so first to start things off, um, talk to us about Dancing with the Stars a little bit. You just were on there recently, like, I mean. That's just like a very like random thing, I guess, to kind of like break the ice a little bit, you know what I mean? Before we get into like the NFTs and crypto stuff. Well, it's it's kind of like net NFTs and crypto. It was brand new to me. Yeah, uh, I had never danced a step in my life. And when they reached out to me, I thought I was being punked. I did not <laughs> believe that such a thing even existed. I didn't know anything about the show, but my daughter said she loved the show. And so I told them that I'd I try to learn how to dance. And by the third episode, I proved that they could not teach me how to dance, but I had a great time trying. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you just because like, we just saw that on your thing. We're like, Oh my God, that's just like such a random thing, but very cool thing to have. Um, but the first thing is, uh, do you want to give us like an introduction of how you got into crypto and like, what was your first like introduction to that and your whole, uh, you know, your little story about how you got into the NFTs as well? I'm infinitely curious. And when something catches my attention, I just will run like a ferret down every single hole, checking it out. And so when I first heard about Second Life back in 2013, I was on Second Life immediately. When the Google Glass Explorer Club came out with Google Glasses, and oh, yeah. I thought that was going to change the world. And so I was one of the first people to adopt that. When I first heard about CryptoKitties, which I think was in 2018, I set up my MetaMask and I bought my first two CryptoKitties and immediately lost my seed phrase. And I couldn't find it again until April of this past year. Oh, you got it back? I found it, yeah. Oh, good. Uh, And so when I logged in, I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. All of my my, uh, Bitcoin has gone up in value. (laughs) My has gone up in value. (laughs) And I can buy so much more than what I could buy when I put it in there. Yeah, it's crazy. yeah, that got me so excited. So I created my first NFT and it sold the, within 24 hours for, I think it was like close to a thousand dollars. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, shoot. Wild. Yeah, that's so awesome. I've had a great time with it. Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, like when I first got into the whole Bitcoin thing, I, it wasn't an early, as early as you did, but it was like maybe like 2017. And, you know, it's something new and scary. You don't want to like, you know, invest a huge amount of money into it, especially like we didn't know what it was at the time. And back then, I think it was at like, I want to say $7,000. We're like, this is the cap. Like it can't get any like higher than this. And then all of a sudden it slowly starts going up, going up. And nowadays it's sitting at like almost, I don't even know, it kind of keeps going down and up by like $50,000. So it's just like absolutely insane. Um, But you have your own project. Talk about that. Like what you guys uh, like donate towards like uh like obviously the tigers and stuff like that and how like what's how's that been like 
Well, actually, there's been a whole bunch of projects. And the one that you mentioned, Typical Tigers, wasn't even one of my projects. Yeah. They just reached out to me and said they were interested in donating to a cat cause, a big cat cause. And I suggested that they check with the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries to find one that's legit, because there's a lot of places out there with fancy websites, and especially those that might be able to accept crypto or people who are developers and could create a really great looking website and not really be doing the work. And so I wanted to make sure that that kind of money that they were raising actually went to the cats and could help them. So there were um, a couple of people that reached out to me that said they had raised money and they wanted to make sure it went to a legitimate sanctuary. And so I created a page at bigcatrescue.org forward slash NFT leaderboard. And I put the top three donors so far. And so that was a group I had never even heard of called the Naughty Tigers Costume Club. Mm. And I think they had donated, I forget now, it's on that page, but they were the biggest donors. And then the second largest donor was a fellow by the name of Nick Daze, who created a Tiger Queen coin. And so they donated something like $15,000 worth of um, both ETH and crypto or and um, Tiger Queen coin. And then the third largest was one called Schrodinger's NFTs. And okay. so, or maybe it was Schrodinger coin. And they donated somewhere in the neighborhood of $5,000 to the sanctuary. Mm. And what each of these groups has said is that they found it hard to find a legitimate animal cause that can actually accept cryptocurrency. I'm sorry. I should turn no off my phone. One of the issues that these projects have found is that most of the sanctuaries or people that were doing work on the ground, whether it be uh, funding game wardens to protect wild animals in the wild or sanctuaries or conservation groups, they don't know how to accept Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency or an NFT or to participate in such a project. And they're afraid to, because that's not what they do for a living. Yeah. And so they don't want to learn all the stuff you have to learn. Whereas I'm just like, I want to know it all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to listen on every Twitter space and every clubhouse group and everything to try and find out what I can. And so we've been accepting Bitcoin on our website forever. Yeah. And well, since, <laughs> since it became a thing, well, yeah. Um, yeah. So it made us an easy choice for some of these people that were just starting out. And I'm hoping that by using that leaderboard and showing people this is real money that's funding real work to save real big cats, yeah. that other sanctuaries and other conservation groups will take the time necessary to set up their wallets and their crypto accounts so that they can benefit from it as well. Okay. In fact, today, I was so excited. We're rescuing 11 tigers in Thailand. No way. Really? Yeah, in COVID, when when COVID hit two years ago, the Phuket Zoo in Thailand, which was one of those horrible places that did cub petting like you saw in Tiger King. Yeah. And they went, they they had to shutter their doors because there was no tourism. And so the animals started starving and people were trying to do little fundraisers to keep the animals fed. And I didn't know any of that was going on because it's Thailand. And then on <laughs> December the 23rd, so two days before Christmas, I got an email from a man that I work with in a group called the Species Survival Network, and he said that he had a sanctuary. I knew he had one. I just didn't know where. It turns out it was in Thailand, and that he was going to go in and get those 11 tigers and two bears out of the zoo. They were 
going to shut their doors permanently and never open again. They agreed to give up the cats, but he didn't have the money to do the rescue and he asked if I'd help. So we just a few minutes ago sent out our alert to our 90,000 people on our our mailing list. But I thought this is a great opportunity to try and involve the NFT community. So I created an NFT for the what it would cost to actually do this rescue, which is around $22,000, and put it on OpenSea to see whether or not anybody would purchase that entire thing. And then I'm thinking to do maybe smaller ones that you could do for like 20 bucks a piece where you fractionalize it. Um, I just haven't gotten clearance from Rally.io to do that. And I really don't know if Rally would be the best place to do it. So maybe you guys would have a better <laughs> idea of how we can involve the the crypto uh, community in yeah. rescuing these 11 tigers and getting them to a really beautiful sanctuary. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's a great story. I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that with us. Um, I know like the tiger, uh, the typical tiger people, maybe if we like did some sort of collab between the two of them, because that's where... Um, like that was like my first like nft group that i like became a part of and they're really a good group of guys so maybe something between you guys could come up with something to you know donate and raise that money because this is a whole uh ecosystem of like new people coming up with these like new technologies new um motive like motives behind things and it's just like a really great space like uh are you familiar with um apocalyptic apes by chance not until it might have been in that same yeah. uh, room that you and I were in, and those are so cool. Yeah. I don't, do you know whether or not those were created by the same people that created Bored Apes? Because they look so similar. Yeah, so they, uh, it was actually one of the owners of the Bored Apes. He went off and got like a dividend of the project, and then he started it with like a collective of people, and then they just blown up. Like I was just telling uh, my uncle here, like, they were minting for like maybe like $250 a piece. And then last night they went up to like $2,000 just out of nowhere because they sold out. Yeah, it was crazy. So shout out to them guys if you guys are listening. Oh, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great project. Um, did you want to talk about the, uh, ty- the what's it called? The uh, the T Queen coin. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess my interest is, is kind of to um, explore – some of the nuances of how um, these things work. And I, I know you, you've been pretty active, I guess, with uh, BitClout and doing some of your own M- NFTs. And I think you've got some Tiger avatars that you've put out on BitClout. And I'm curious of how that's worked. And I don't know if you want to, I, I don't, I, we don't need all the details, but I'm just curious of what your experience has been of actually creating an NFT and putting it into the market from scratch and, how that's worked. And then I, I guess secondary to that is, is I know that you mentioned the NFT leaderboard. It's on your webpage. And I did uh, see the, the T queen and coin, the Tiger queen coin. And I, I saw that they, I guess they, that person donated like 278 million coins or T coins. And I, I I'm, I'm really kind of curious. I mean, this, this whole crypto thing is still rather new to me and I'm, I'm trying to understand the creation of a, of a, a crypto coin. Um, were you involved in that process or is that something that this person did and just presented it to you? And and if they create a crypto coin, is that something that you can easily monetize? I mean, I know that it says those 278 million coins are worth like $5,000, but is that something that can be converted into, I'll call it real money um, easily or is it, you know, because <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that that's not something that's traded on Coinbase or any of the mainstream uh, um crypto exchanges. exchanges. So 
I'm wondering how it's monetized and and what your experience has been with that. So I I know that's a lot. I'm sorry. I probably should have broken it down, but um, how long are we here for? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. I I minted that first NFT on, I think it was OpenSea or Rarible. I forget which, but anyway, it it sold right away close to a thousand dollars. And I was so excited about that. So I put up several more and the gas fees were horrendous as you guys probably know if you've minted anything. So I didn't put a whole bunch up after that. I only put up maybe four or five different things that I have on Rarible and OpenSea. And you can find those by looking for Big Cat Rescue. That's my URL everywhere. Um, And so a number of different people approached me and said, like, there was a, actually one of the people who worked for O Magazine who had contacted me because of the whole Tiger King thing, her brother was involved in NFTs. And so he created the first set of NFTs that we had. And if you go to bigcatrescue.org forward slash NFTs, I think it'll take you to this Vercel app. And we had a number of different little uh, NFTs there that are still for sale, but they just didn't sell well. And so I didn't know that you have to like go and see these rooms and market it and really talk it up and get people excited about the community because <laughs> yeah. that's what you're really selling is the community yep. and the fact that you're going to be there and you're going to be around and talk to them and involved with them going forward. And so another group reached out to us, the NFT Jungle Collective, and they created a set of NFTs. Haven't done amazingly well with that either. (laughs) Um, Again, because I just don't think I know how to market it well. I don't know the right people to make sure that the right eyeballs fall on it because they had a really good project with a good idea. And there was another one that was... um, stray cats they reached out to me they already had their project but they wanted to make big cat rescue a beneficiary of the the uh, proceeds and agreed to give us some percentage i forget what it was but they never sold enough of the nfts to ever reach that first threshold what you if you've seen roadmaps you know yeah. how they have like yeah. when we sell this many we'll donate this and we sell this many so it's the same thing with the nft collective they've said when they sell a certain amount if they were to sell out they would be sponsoring um, 25 of our 50 cats and that's $250,000. So that's serious money, but they weren't able to sell them out. So the money hasn't come to us despite us continuing to go into these different groups and talk to different people with them. So when Nick Daze came to me, this was probably June or July of last year, he wanted to create because of the name recognition of Carol Baskin coin. And I didn't know anything about it. I had created a coin at rally.io. It's called cats. So if you go to rally.io forward slash cat, it's my cat coin, Mm. but it hasn't sold very well because I don't know how to market this thing. So um, he decided he wanted to create a cat coin. And I told him, you're not calling it after me. And he said, well, anybody could actually create a Carol Baskin coin. And it turns out there are Carol Baskin coins out there that (laughs) aren't anything to do with me. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of scary. And so he decided he was going to create the coin anyway. (laughs) But he wasn't going to call it Carol Baskin because, you know, in deference to me saying, I just don't know enough to throw my name behind this. He called it Tiger Queen. Hmm. And what he did that I thought was unique in the coin world. So when people buy a coin, and as you saw, there's like trillions of them available. So they're very, very cheap. I I think he said he'd be happy if it got up to like two cents per coin. So they're really, really cheap. Yeah. But um, he felt like, or the way he set up the split so that when people purchase a coin is that 2.5% will go into a pool 
that the the primary holders of the coin, and I think you have to hold like $10,000 worth of the coin, um, those holders can then vote on how they want that money in that pot split. And so they had voted to send that $10,000 to Big Cat Rescue in the form of ETH, which to answer your question, you can trade in ETH, right. <laughs> you yeah. know that. Yeah. So that was easily traded money. But then they said, in addition to that, they wanted to gift to us the $5,000 worth of Tiger Queen coin. And if I wanted to sell that, I'd have to take it to something like Pancake Swap to swap it out for something that I could cash out. But I really don't understand that process. So I'm, I haven't done it. Yeah. And right. I want to actually hang on to the coin and all of the cryptocurrency. I haven't pulled any of the cash out of the cryptocurrencies because I feel like this is the safe place to put money, not to be taking it out and putting it into fiat. Yeah. So um, I've left everything in whatever form it's in on purpose. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then I have this kind of expands on what you were talking about earlier. Like you were very like, you were very vocal about you hopping on new things early. Would you contribute that to like be part of your success, even with the big cat rescue? Do you find that to be one of the main reasons why, you know, your business kind of puts being like the forerunner as compared to like another cat sanctuary, for example? We are the best funded of any of the sanctuaries. We can withstand not having any income longer than any other cat sanctuary, exotic cat sanctuary that I know of, or domestic cat sanctuary for that matter. We've always had the highest ratings of any of the charity watchdog groups because of the fact that we put everything out there, our 990s, our audited statements. We want to be totally transparent, which is why I love the blockchain because everything oh, yeah. is so transparent there. But I do, you know, like everything that comes along, I get so interested in seeing how can I use that to benefit our mission, which is to end the practice of having cats in cages. So like when the internet came along, I was like first person on board as soon as that <laughs> thing was available, as soon as AOL came out, you know, yeah. I had an email address and created a mailing list and started emailing people. And then we created our own website. We're one of the first websites ever. And we made it a huge repository for like Every question anybody could ever ask about a big cat is on our site. It's 11,000 pages of, of, of content about yeah. big cats. So it ended up being used as a resource by schools and museums and zoos and everywhere. And so just each one of those things, as they have come along, I've tried to figure out how can we move our mission forward with that new technology. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you, have you data mined your... Um... The, the folks that are participating or contributing to the the organization, I mean, have you kind of data mined that to to see if this is bringing in what I'll call a younger audience? Or, I, I mean, my my in initial thought is is um, typically, I guess, older people are probably not going to be as comfortable with crypto, and that's probably not where you're seeing activity on that end of the spectrum. But I would imagine that. Um, you might be seeing a younger audience coming in through the NFTs and the crypto that typically may not be of the mindset of contributing to a non, you know, a, a nonprofit, uh, typically. Um, and I'm wondering if you've seen that or looked at that. 
Well, it's interesting because I'm 60 and my demographic tends to be mostly older women like me, um, especially crazy old cat ladies. That, <laughs> <laughs> that's my demographic. <laughs> we get each other. Yeah. And those have been, you know, our primary donors have been people who are older. And so that's why we have to do a print magazine because some of them aren't even on the internet. They don't right. get emails, right. you know, that kind of thing. So it, it's been really interesting. I don't know that it was so much because of crypto as it was because of Tiger King that I've seen this shift in our fan base going much younger. And like when I go out in public, I, I find it so interesting that it's the teenagers and mostly teenage boys that will come running over and want a selfie with me. <laughs> it's, you know, their parents are like, yeah, I'll take your selfie. And then I'm like, do you want me to do one with you? And they're like, I, I don't know why my son wants this. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, uh, in full disclosure, right. I, uh, when Dave came to me and said, Hey, I got Carol Baskin on and I, I didn't know who you were and I have not seen <laughs> Tiger King and, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just the thing. But all of Dave's sphere um, were just so excited about the prospect. So, yeah, yeah there's there's another one of those generational things that I guess that's been kind of going on. Yeah, it's when, been really interesting. Yeah, yeah. when uh, me and you were DMing, I like was like telling. I told him through my friends, they're like, "Oh my god, like this is gonna be crazy." Uh, yeah, they were asking so many questions. But um, I have a question for you about going back to like the marketing thing, like. When marketing, you know, new projects and everything like that, like, do you find the hardest thing being putting like boots on the ground, getting out there into the spaces? Or do you find that the actual product itself might not be something that completely is something to push forward, if that kind of makes sense? Like, where do you think your biggest struggle with the whole marketing aspect of these projects have uh, kind of came from? One of the groups that I was listening, and I think this was the Twitter space as well, maybe it was the same one. A whole bunch of guys from Solana came into the group mm -hmm. and they were all throwing a fit because they said you shouldn't be working with these groups where only 2% or 2.5% 2 is going to the cats. We would set up a Solana thing, you know, an mm -hmm. NFT or uh, based type of a project for you and have all of the money to go to charity. Well, I know from our own donor base, our donors to the sanctuary are always looking for how they can give to the cats in the most effective way. So like, is it cheaper to send a check or to send a credit card? Is, is there processing fees that are coming out of my money? They want the most of their money going to the actual things that we're doing to protect big cats. And yet these NFT projects, we're just a tiny percentage or they have to sell so many of them before they would ever even trigger a donation to the sanctuary that in those cases I mentioned, they never even got that far along. But yeah. then I think the public yeah. is worried that, well, you know, what if we do buy all of these NFTs and then none of the money actually goes to the to the cause that I'm trying to support? So I, I think that that's been a big deterrent for people who really want to, to support the cats. I think the flip side of that is that there are a lot of these projects that are very cool and unique and people want to be parts of those communities and they want to have those NFTs to share and to, to resell. And they don't really care where their money's going because they care more about those things than what the underlying cause is. And so I think that we can benefit and have, <clears throat> as you saw from the NFT leaderboard, we can benefit from the fact that people just want to be involved in those projects. Um, but it's not it's not the same as dealing with people who are really looking to give to the 
underlying work. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then this next question is kind of a little bit just like your broader opinion on like where do you kind of see the future of cryptocurrencies and the future of NFTs and, you know, how, like what impact do you see them having on like the way that we transact and like operate in just like a regular society? Like could you see, you know, you going to the store and, you know, you're trying to buy some water or some food or whatever and then they're like, all right, I'm going to take – some of the tiger queen coin or whatever, whatever the situation could be. I really think that is the future and specific to what I'm doing. I see it as the way that we are going to save the planet. We are depleting our resources at an unbelievable speed. And I shudder at the thought of people your age, even having children, because it's, we're, we're leaving them a, planet that can't sustain any more people on it. And so I think the only way that we're going to change that is through the fact that so many people do love wild animals and they want to see those wild animals. And for 200 years, zoos have been saying that it's conservation to come see them in a cage. And during that period of time, we've pushed all of the big cat species to the edge of extinction. So what I see is the future is using the immersive experiences that we can get through 360 degree internet streaming cameras set in the wild where these cats live. And in order for you to see a cat, any tiger or lion or anything, you can't go to a zoo anymore. The only way you can see them is to put on that headset and pay for that stream to become an end of your headset where you can pick on a big grid of all of the different animals and the different mm -hmm. heat maps to know where to look, you know, for the activity. And you can see those cats in the wild, living free, raising their young, doing the things that they do naturally to protect nature. And through using these smart contracts on the blockchain, diverting the lion's share of that money to the people who actually live in those regions near those tigers or lions or jaguars so that they become game wardens who have a vested interest in not cutting down the forest, not doing farming practices that are causing the depletion of resources, because now they have a form of income where they can purchase food and they don't have to do these things that they currently do. That's the only way that we'll ever save these animals in the wild and save the wild spaces that we need for clear, clean water and clear air is through this monetization zoos i think can then monetize it as well because not everybody can afford a 500 dollars headset but you could pay your ten dollars and go to the zoo and use their headsets and they could even do it better you know you you put the headset on to see the snow leopards in the wild and they're blowing cold air on you and you're <laughs> smelling yaks yeah. nearby yeah. you know and so you have that full immersive experience that you can't possibly get in any zoo currently and that that still there, those feeds that they get coming into their locations, that money is then being channeled back out to actual conservation in the wild by funding the people who live near those cats. I think that's going to be what changes the entire um, situation here on this planet is as we monetize the things that we all love and we all want to experience in a smart way that preserves them. Yeah, it's such a much better experience, too. I mean, what you just described is so much. I mean, I'm thinking about it in my head, and it's got to be so much better than just going to a zoo. Because I mean, how many times have you gone to a zoo and gone up to uh, – in Philadelphia, we're, we're lucky enough, I think, to have one of the few snow leopards in captivity at, at the Philadelphia Zoo. 
but you very rarely ever see it because it's, you know, timing, uh, uh, nocturnal, whatever it might be, right? So you go to the zoo and you, you end up not really seeing anything anyway. So, um, what you know, describing that natural experience uh, without really kind of impacting captivity and stuff like that is just a fabulous idea and concept. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have anything like that at your zoo that you're currently like implementing or or not the zoo? Sorry, my apologies. But are you implementing anything like that? Like where you have like maybe cameras inside the cage to like people go to like Twitch or somewhere like YouTube where they could tune into like a live stream or something of that nature? Yeah, we do. And it took me four years to get wow. the people at explore.org to agree to put cameras here. They're the ones who put cameras like underwater where sharks swim by or where orcas are known to swim by. They put them up in trees where eagles have their nests. They put them out on the plains of um, Central America where you've got bison going by, you know, mm -hmm. and people can watch these cameras live for free because they're a nonprofit that does it. And I told them, I said, you know, that people would love seeing our big cats here on those cameras. And they kept saying, oh, we don't do zoos. We don't do sanctuaries. And I was like, trust me, people are going to love it. And we became one of their most popular um, cameras. Really? And so we have, I don't know, maybe four or five cameras that they have here. And they actually pay somebody 24 seven to drive those cameras and make sure that the cameras are pointed at whatever's going on in the, the cat's enclosure. You know, if the cat's busy eating or drinking or sleeping, it's following the cat all around. And it's actually helped us with our rehab program because we have uh, the only cats that are legal to set free are the ones who were born in the wild. And so we do a lot of rehab and release for bobcats that have been injured and are, we watched them over like nest cams before, but now we've got these operators that for free are watching our cats all night long. And every morning I get up and I get a whole long report of everything that cat did all night. Yeah. And we have all these people online who are watching and they have a discord, not discord. <laughs> so accustomed to hearing that now yeah. a group where they can all get in there and chat with each other to the point where back when we used to have visitors before COVID hit, they would come here once a year as a group and they were, I forget what they called themselves, but it was the explorers or something. And they became these lifelong friends from all around the world because of the discussions they had based around our cameras. So we currently have somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 cameras on the property, but they're not all the big fancy ones. A lot of them are just nest cams or ricotta cams that you can't drive around, but you can watch our cats live. That's and it's all free currently. I just want to drive the demand for it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think that's a, a great initiative that you got. You have like, I mean, I never even heard of anyone say <clears throat> to tie in the whole VR situation with, you know, instead of going to the zoo, because for one, I couldn't even tell you the last time that I went to a zoo and, you know, with everything and informing myself, like that's not the best place to be like these cats nine times out of 10. They're not they're not there for the right reason. You know, you're going there to like it's like kind of invasive, you know what I mean? Or very invasive. But um uh, the next question. I'm glad I you said that because I feel like what we've been teaching our children for the past 200 years is that it's okay to hold these animals hostage if you get some amusement out of it, and that's the worst message we could possibly teach anybody. Yeah, no, I mean I couldn't even imagine. Like, I don't know. It, it kind of goes like deeper than just that, but I don't know. Like when you were little, I guess that's just the thing to do. You know, you have a school trip or whatever. You just go to the zoo. But like looking back on it, you could definitely see how. That's definitely not the best thing, you know, to do. But um, 
my next question is like, do you have uh, any like crazy tiger story that sticks out for you? Like person, I'm sure you get asked that question like all the time, but do you have anything that, that, uh, I don't know, kind of sticks out from the rest of the rest of the pile? Well, I was, I read a page of my diary every day and release it. And so I'm up to about 2016 now. And so I was just reading one yesterday that I'd forgotten about. And it was a tiger that we had rescued. Her name was Tisha. And she had come from a horrible situation where they had kept a whole bunch of cats together and she was weak and couldn't move around. And the other cats would beat the snot out of her all the time. And so we had taken her in for an MRI. And while we were waiting for the results to come back from the MRI, she had gotten too, so bad that she couldn't walk. And so mm. she was just dragging herself with her front legs. And I was not on property one day and our operations manager was also off property when she started choking on a piece of meat. And the, the protocol here at the sanctuary is that nobody can go, none of us touch the cats for one, but nobody goes into a cage where yeah. there is a big cat unless I'm there or my daughter is here and the operations manager. So both the operations manager and I rushed to the scene it looks to me like this tiger is dead. I can't tell if she's breathing. And they, the keepers tell me that she was choking on a piece of meat was the last thing that they saw. And so I asked Gail, I said, do you want to go in with me and see if there's anything we can do? And she was game to do it, which Gail's always game to do it. <laughs> and we're talking about like, you know, a 450 pound tiger. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Braver than me. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> so we go into the cage and I grab her on either side of her shoulders and try to roll her up into a sternal position because she's laying on her side and I can't see that she's breathing at all because she mm. is but she's taking such shallow breaths that I can't even see it so I get her up like that and I tell Kale to take a pair of barbecue tongs and reach down her throat with the barbecue tongs and grab that meat and pull it out well oh she can't God. get the tongs. she can't see it she can't get the tongs to grab it and so we start trying to like push the meat up and it's not coming up. So we start trying to push the meat down and we finally get it down enough that she starts coughing. And so we're able to, you know, let her cough it up. And then we both run for the door. <laughs> to yeah, get out that's of probably, that was probably a scary experience because if she wakes up, she might get the wrong idea. You know what I mean? Well, she was awake through the whole thing. Oh, she was and, awake. Oh, know, okay. Yeah, she was conscious. She just couldn't breathe. Mm. And so, you know, if she had been a cat who could have gotten up and chased us to the door, I could not have put us both in that kind of risk. Mm. But because of the fact that we knew she was not able to do anything other than drag herself, I felt like we had a good enough chance of getting out of there alive. So that you can chalk that one up to one of the most scary, stupid things I've ever done. Probably. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I have to ask you, like, what, what was the whole, what's like the whole grass behind tigers like what got you what was like your first uh i guess early thing you probably get asked that a lot as well but like what got you into tigers my intention was to save domestic cats and kittens from being killed in shelters due to overpopulation okay. and mm -hmm. i thought that i was going to do that through aggressive spay and neuter programs but as a result of being in the cat community so much and then ending up at vets offices that's where if a bobcat got hit by a car or was orphaned then the vet can fix them up usually in 30 minutes or so, but there's months of getting them ready to go back to the wild. Mm. So I've been doing that since I was 17 years old. I left home at the age of 15. So I've worked like three jobs since I left home at 15. But by the time I was 17, I was doing rehab and release of bobcats. And then when I was in my 30s was when I went to an exotic animal auction. We were buying llamas because I was in real estate by then. 
and I would turn the llamas loose on big tracts of land because they clear about eye level and then you can move them to the next piece of property. And so it was just an easy way to clear the property. And I enjoyed llamas. They were a lot of fun. And this guy starts bidding on a bobcat next to me. And I said, when that cat grows up, she's going to tear your face off because there's nothing on this planet more wicked than a bobcat. Mm. Oh my God. They are so <laughs> wicked. I love them for that, but they're just vicious oh, little animals. Sure. And he said he was a taxidermist and that he was going to club her in the head and heart oh, and decoration out of her. So I came home with her and because she had been born in captivity, I couldn't release her. The people that had her before had declawed her. So she couldn't hunt even if it were legal. And that led my husband to trying to find somebody that the cat could play with because she was beating the snot out of our German shepherd and scaring my daughter and attacking my husband. And so he started calling around and this guy said that he had uh, kittens that he would sell us, bobcat kittens, but we had to come in person. And so we drove up to Miss uh, LaCenter, Minnesota in 1993. This was a year after we got Winsong, the first bobcat. And they had 56 bobcats and lynx there. And when I asked what they were going to do with them, he said that they were going to turn them into fur coats when they were a year old. So we came home with 56 bobcats and lynx. He took all of them home? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So now we have 57 bobcats and lynx, the 56 from there, plus Winsong. And people started calling and saying, hey, would you take my tiger? Would you take my lion? I'm like, what? (laughs) What are you doing with lions and tigers? I had no idea that even existed. And so I thought, well, how hard could it be to fix that problem? Oh my gosh, I've been trying to fix that problem since the 90s, but we're closing in on it. We're about yeah. to get a federal bill passed that would ban cub petting, which is what drives most of the breeding and discarding of lions and tigers. And it'll phase out private ownership so that people can't be calling people saying, hey, get yeah. this out of my house a year later. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Actually, do you want to speak a little bit about how that's been going and like, you know, give us an update on that? Because I, I do remember you speaking about that. We started working in 1998 on a federal bill to crack down on this huge big cat problem. And we got part of it passed in 2003 that made it illegal to sell a big cat across state lines as a pet. So there were a lot of parameters there. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, but it did cut down on the number of cats that we were being asked to rescue. In 2003, we were asked to take in 312 big cats, in addition to the ones that we actually were able to rescue. And back then, there was no place for these cats to go. And so every other year, that number was doubling. And I realized that we were going to have to fix this legislatively because you couldn't educate people out of it. And so our federal bill passed in 2003. And the first year after that, instead of having to turn away five or 600 cats, because that was the trajectory we were on, it dropped to like 160. And so it was like, all right, this is the way we fix this. And so what we've been trying to do since 2003 is close a couple of the loopholes that we had to, you know, whenever you get a bill through Congress, you have to make a lot of compromises with your enemies. And so the main things that we had to leave out were the cub petting and the private ownership. So that's what we're trying to close and have been trying to close since 2003. Last session of Congress, we passed the House, but it was the last month of the year and it didn't have time to go through the Senate. So we had to start all over again in 2021. We're up to 250 co-sponsors in the House, which is already a majority, so we know we've got that licked. 
but I've still got a year to work on the Senate this time around. So I think we can do it this year. Yeah. Good luck with that. I mean, I could only imagine all like the loopholes and everything that kind of has to go into that. I mean, even to like the little nuances, like what, what did you say? Like the first one was called, like you couldn't sell it or you can't sell cats over state lines as a pet or something like that. Yeah. Like (laughs) there's like so many different things that kind of go into it. You're just like, Oh man, that's, that's, that's crazy. But I don't know. Um, did you want to ask that any other question about that? I don't. I know that all this information is on your website, including the state-by-state rules and laws. Um, and it looks like, I guess for the most part, there are only four states that are sort of what I'll call uh, uh, the wild, wild Rogue. west. <laughs> yeah, and do whatever they want. Um, but other than that, it seems like there are at least there are state-level controls or at least um, – I would imagine that a lot of these states are making the efforts to at least make sure that if you're going to have a tiger as a pet, you uh, are capable of housing it or doing it um, with some semblance of decency and compassion. So, yeah, I mean, your efforts are are greatly appreciated. And I know that uh, hopefully we can close the loopholes on those four additional states so this becomes less and less an issue. So, yeah. Yeah, And even with the states who have bans and partial bans, not one of the states has a similar law to the next state over. So there's like this huge patchwork of laws. And unfortunately, what Florida right now is considered to have the highest standards when it comes to how much space does your tiger need. And they say that you can keep two tigers. And I've had tigers who weighed as much as 750 pounds each, big more tigers. They're huge. Yeah. You can keep two of those in the space that you can park a car in. A <laughs> That's not humane (laughs) humane about that. And yet that's the most humane standard in our entire country right now. So I feel like the only thing that's really humane for these animals is to not have them in cages, period. And that's why that's what I'm driving toward. But I know that I'm only likely to get this federal bill passed that says it stops the cub petting and phases out the private ownership. I don't think in my lifetime, I'll get to a point where we say that zoos are banned, but I think zoos will have to remake themselves because as you see in your generation, kids don't want to see these animals suffering in captivity. They have a much higher understanding of who these animals are and that they're all individuals with their own agenda that does not include amusing you. (laughs) So I think this is all going to change because the money changes as far as how they can support themselves. So are are you seeing zoos come around? Because I I know, I think, again, I'm I'm referencing Philadelphia Zoo because it's obviously local for us. But I know for for the longest time they they had elephants. And I think it was probably five or six years ago they, Mm -hmm. they moved all the elephants to an off-site um, reserve because they, you know, obviously I guess there wasn't enough room in the the metro zoo to, to kind of handle elephants and they recognize that. So are you, are you starting to see some zoos coming around to not housing big cats and redirecting that attention to like a local uh, rescue like yourselves? Well, the zoos hate me personally because I keep talking about how we don't need zoos but um, or how they need to remake themselves. But I am seeing that shift. And that shift is coming because of public outcry against the way these animals are treated. And so when they see that people will not come to pay to see an animal like an elephant that's just rocking back and forth because it's stir crazy or a tiger that's pacing back and forth because it's stir crazy, then they have to figure a different way of dealing with it. And that's why I feel like 
they would be so smart to adopt this technology right now rather than being forced into it while they still have some credibility and some ability to be leaders in their field they should be adopting these new technologies and these new i mean think about it if you take your kids to an immersive type of situation like we described earlier and they feel like they are right there with those animals and they have that connection that's so much better than what any zoo is currently offering and a tiger, a single tiger could travel hundreds of miles. They patrol a, an Amur tiger would have 400 to 700 square mile territory of their own in the wild. There's no zoo cage that we can give them that even approximates that kind of life. So there's no way that we can do that humanely. I had a bobcat that came in. Bobcats are only 20, 25 pounds here in Florida. Really? She had been hit by like three cars in a row still managed to walk away from it, which is how tough bobcats are. <laughs> and she had had all the bones pinned and had to be inside for a while for them to heal. And the first day that we put her into our outdoor runs where she would get, you know, build up her strength again and start learning to hunt again. Her first night back out there, she traveled 16 miles in a single night. I watched her on the camera and counted the laps that she did. Oh man, 16 miles for a 20 pound cat. So there's no cage that anybody's going to give that cat that's going to be humane for that cat. No, no, definitely. That's that's a lot of mileage to cover in one night. I could only imagine. Um, before we let you go, I have a couple more questions. This kind of just ties into our thing because we we're running, you know, a clothing business, and you know, we we kind of. That's kind of like the whole premise behind the show. Um, for you, you mentioned real estate. Was that your first like business venture? You said that you moved out at like a younger age. How did you get into real estate? You don't, if you don't mind talking about that a little bit. Happy to. Okay. Um, on that other measure, if people go to bigcatact.com, they can help us get that federal bill passed. Uh, they can send a tweet to their member of Congress. They can send an email or better yet, they can call them and it's all right there. All they have to have is their address and it'll know which person is their member of Congress and okay. it'll set it all up for them. As far as my first businesses, um, I was one of those kids that had the lemonade stand and mm. we lived in a trailer park. So I got all the kids in the trailer park to work for me and we would go around and wash people's cars and wash their trailers and cut their grass. And I felt like from a very early age, I was going to need to make a lot of money to fix all of these domestic cats that needed to be fixed in order to solve that overpopulation pro problem. And so when I left home at the age of 15, like I said earlier, I was working three jobs and most of them were like, you know, waitressing jobs, or I worked in a automotive department of a store. I, I changed oil and cars at a gas station. You know, I did all kinds of crazy stuff like that, but I took a job working at a boat, um, like leisure boat sales type of a place because they had this computer that was bigger than this whole area behind me. It was... <laughs> one of the first computers ever. And they had bought this thing to do their payroll with and nobody there knew how to operate it. And so they ran an ad in the paper for somebody. And I was like, well, I can learn how to do that. So I contacted them and they said, you know, do you have experience with this? And I was like, you got a manual for this thing? And they gave me this manual as the size of a telephone book. And so I was like, yeah, I can do that. And so I, I was able to go in and negotiate with them that I would take care of their payroll. I'd learn how to operate this thing. But what I wanted was the freedom to come and go at my own leisure, that as long as I got the work done, that they didn't make me come in for certain hours. And I did that because I was building the real estate business. And the real estate business happened as a result of um, my, my husband, Don Lewis, 
was going to the bank one day and he overheard two people talking about a mortgage that had gone into foreclosure. And the guy was saying it was a $20,000 mortgage and then he'd sell it for $2,000 if he could just write it off their books. Wow. And my husband was illiterate, but he, he understood the difference between 2000 and 20,000. <laughs> <laughs> he, he asked him, he said, could I take a copy of that and study it over and see maybe if I could give you the money for that? And so they did. And he brought it to me and he said, figure this out because it, it sounds like there's some money to be made there. Mm-hmm. And so I told him, I said, after I'd read it all, I said, well, it looks like there's, you know, if we buy it for 2000 and we go to the people who owe the money and we say, look, you know, we got your $20,000 mortgage for $2,000. We can lower your payments by a whole lot. Yeah. Maybe just something you can afford. Will you keep making payments? Or if they don't do that, then we can go ahead and be the bad guy and foreclose. And if we get outbid at the courthouse, we'll get $20,000. So we've made that much money off of it. And we might be the high bidder because back then nobody had ever heard of any of this stuff, you Mm. know, buying bad paper or flipping houses. That wasn't a thing back in the eighties. And so (laughs) we ended up making like $40,000 on that first one. And so Don came to me and he was like, can you do that again? (laughs) (laughs) I went to every single bank, every credit union, every lending finance company, everything you can imagine in a five county radius and said, is there anybody here who's not paying their mortgage? I want to buy that. (laughs) So that was how I built the real estate business. That's awesome. That's, that's crazy. I mean, that just goes to show you being like an earlier adopter of, you know, flipping houses, like you said, and turning that into a successful business. That's fantastic. Um, Is there any projects that you're kind of working on? You talked about the bill, uh, the stuff obviously with Netflix. Is there any like a secondary, anything going on with that? Or, you know, you want to shout out your website, tell people where to donate to or like to get your NFTs, anything like that? Um, One of the things, one of the spinoffs that happened as a result of Tiger King, I was thankful for was my own show and there's carol baskin's cage fight and it's streaming on discovery plus unfortunately you have to subscribe to discovery plus to see it and i don't know how many people do that but, <laughs> yeah. um, they do often have and they may still have it where it's a free trial so you can sign up for like two weeks watch the two episodes that i have there and then cancel your subscription <laughs> going around the system I- there <laughs> <laughs> But it's really, you know, it's what I really do. Tiger King did not show what I really do. And what I really do is I go after these animal abusers and I gather the evidence about what they're doing that's illegal. And then I take it to the authorities and I put pressure on them until they actually do something about it. And usually the way that I do that is by getting the public involved, because when the public sees the way these animals are treated, they're outraged. And then they will write their members of Congress and they'll write USDA and they'll write the state agencies and they'll protest and they'll do the things necessary to stop the abuse. So that's why the guys hate me. That's why everybody in Tiger King wanted to kill me because they wanted to shut me up. Yeah. Did they like reach like how was that pitch to you? Were they like, uh, you know, come to our show, we'll make you like the like the good guy and then they like kind of flipped the script or what like what was the whole deal behind that like how how did that like how did they approach you with that did you see blackfish blackfish oh that's the uh orca um yeah yes i didn't see it but i i do know the story i think i think i did is that when the one orca killed the girl well no i think it was uh it was that's it it was yeah. hammering on sea world if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah okay. i definitely seen that yep now that you said that i do remember that and the The thing about Blackfish was that when people saw the way these orcas were being taken from their family pods and kept in these 
swimming pools and forced to do these stupid tricks and yeah. killing their trainers when they didn't want to do these yeah, tricks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some the crazy stuff. Like, we're not going to support that. We're not going to go to SeaWorld. And yeah. so they had to change their model. And so when these people came to us, they said for five years, we worked with them. Um, they said they were working on the blackfish for big cats. They were going to expose all of this abuse and all of the stuff that we do. They were going to be showing how we go after these bad guys and how we gather this evidence. And <clears throat> so I thought it was a great opportunity for the world to know about this because they'd never stand for what's behind cub petting if they knew how those cubs were treated and how they end up being killed at the end. And so mm. that was not at all what Tiger King was. And that was, again, where, you know, it was... It was such a huge betrayal and it caused me so much grief personally, as far as people attacking me and my family and our cats and wanting to burn the sanctuary down because they didn't understand that sanctuaries are different from zoos. They thought we were just the same as Joe, oh which my God. was, you know, through clever editing that they made it look that way. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I had to claw my way back, starting with Dancing with the Stars to show people <laughs> what the truth is out yeah. there. And then when Discovery Plus gave me my own show, it's like, yeah, this is a whole lot more interesting than Tiger King. There's yeah. actually, there's a car chase, there's bloodshed, there is guns being shot. And that's all in my real world that I mm. go through with these people. And so if people could see that, I think they would really support ending this captivity of big cats. Yeah, yeah. this is where I guess social media actually has its pros, right? We, 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 we talk about the pros and cons of social media, but it's really nice that you actually have a voice, right? Because I think in days past, the, the, the television show would have been put out and you would have had very little recourse to share your own personal story and kind of fight back against the portrayal. And it's nice that you were able to do that. You know, it's that's one of the nice things about social media at times is, you know, you actually are given the ability to, to kind of defend yourself and just share your voice with those that will listen. And so I'm glad that happened for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I, I agree that if this had happened 20 years ago, I, yep. you know, my reputation would have been shot. I would have had no way to speak up against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. for sure. I mean, um, last question. I mean, you know, uh, when we were in that Twitter space, there was like, there was like this Joe Exotic account that was in the in the Twitter space. Do you have like, what's your whole stance with that? Like you said, you didn't even, you never even met the guy. Like, what? Where is this? Like, where did this feud all like come from? I want to hear it from you versus like the television show. Like, where? Like, where did all this come from? So in nineteen, no, in two thousand and nine, I was. I have a website called nine one one animalabuse.com. What I would do on that site is so many of these people that abuse animals, every time they go to a different town with their little circus act or whatever they call it, they'll call themselves something different so that their bad USDA inspections don't follow them. So that if there's any negative press or negative reviews, they don't follow them. And I went to my husband in 2009 and I said, there are 21 different guys that I've been chasing all over the place under these different names. And they're all this guy, Joe Schreibogel. And I was like, <laughs> look at this. It's this guy in these leather pants and he's wearing these handcuffs around his waist and stuff. And it's like, he's in every one of those pictures. And so <laughs> my husband said, well, let me take over that page. So he created a page called Joe Schreibogel. And he put all 21 of his aliases, his different company names and such on there. So that all of the, all of the, hundreds of citations that he had against him for animal issues were all on this one page. Well, Joe about lost his mind over that, but it wasn't mm. me that created that page. Yeah. It was my husband. 
But my husband's a Harvard MBA. He's He was never married before I married him, and he was in his 50s then. He's never had a tragedy in his family, like somebody going missing that people could then use as some kind of a, a shadow on who he is. <laughs> yeah. So the only way Joe could make anybody um, believe him was to point at me and say, look at her. She's a hypocrite. She had these cats and she's breeding cats, which I was not since the nineties, mm. but I did in the nineties for the first three years, we didn't know any better. The internet hadn't come along. And then of course, when I lost my husband, it was all of this slander stuff that he was making up about that. And mm. I didn't care what he said about me because nobody listened to this person <laughs> in the middle of Oklahoma. With the leather pants. <laughs> But then he went out and he renamed his show again and he called it Big Cat Rescue Entertainment. Well, um, people started calling us and saying, I didn't think you did cub petting. And yet I just saw you at the mall the other day. And it was like, that was not us. Uh, and so we filed a lawsuit to make him stop using our name. And our name was just Big Cat Rescue. It wasn't Big Cat Rescue Entertainment. But what he did was he took our logo. I'm not wearing a logo, but he took our logo. <laughs> and then in this little tiny bar down here is where he put entertainment so you could barely read right. it. And it just looked like it was you. Like he was like impersonating your whole business. Yeah. So we got a million dollar judgment against him. But again, it was my husband that went through the lawsuit and dealt with the attorneys and did all of the discovery and the, you know, after we got the judgment he was the one that went after joe to collect it and he was the person who dealt with all of the bankruptcy shenanigans that joe tried to pull i was never ever <laughs> at any of those things with two exceptions i went to his deposition i watched it i never even spoke to him mm -hmm. and at one of the hearings in the bankruptcy where he was trying to wipe the debt out my husband had just had open heart surgery and couldn't travel to oklahoma so i went to that but again it was my my attorney doing all the talking. I never said a word to Joe, didn't mm. look, you know, give him any nasty looks across the table or anything like that. Mm. So that was why he hated us so much is because of the fact that we had called him out for what he was doing. We exposed him to the world for what he was doing. And then we got a million dollar judgment against him when he tried to retaliate by using our name. Dang, got the bag. <laughs> Facts and truth, a yeah. wonderful thing. That's awesome. Well, Carol, it's been awesome having you. Thank you so much for, you know, coming on here, taking the time out of the day. Uh, it's bigcatrescue.org or .com? Bigcatrescue.org. Bigcatrescue.org. Go check your stuff out. Donate to the thing. Who knows? We can maybe have a collaboration with the clothing business and the cat thing. Donate some of the proceeds. Well, now we'll cat have prints. to talk. There you go. We'll have to do cat prints. You know, we'll talk. We'll definitely talk more about that. Um, but I think that's it. It was it was awesome to have you on here. I really I do appreciate. We both really appreciate you. Uh, coming absolutely. On here. I know we ran well over our thirty minute a lot of time. So appreciate you hanging in there with us and giving us that extra time. Uh, well, I'll make sure to include all the hyperlinks for the location and um, the the website and and the uh, the the legislative uh, link uh, as well as the donation link as well. So we'll get all of that in the show notes, so it'll be easy to reference for those listening. And yeah, I mean, thanks for the time. This has been wonderful. It's been fun. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to uh, send you it out. I don't know when we're going to publish it, but we'll, we'll do it relatively soon. Next day or so, for <laughs> sure. But <laughs> it's been the Exclusive Mind Podcast. It's been David. Joe. Carol. Carol <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have fun, everybody. Take it easy. Thanks, Carol. Bye-bye. Take care. Yeah. 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 
Let me drop exclusive game from my exclusive mind You be out here chasing fame, I stay steady on my grind Zero diamonds, zero chains from my brain is where I shine Hit you with them good lyrics, I ain't writing and I'm dying And right now I'm alive, so check it I reckon I shouldn't cuss on this record I don't cuss on them often because I'm applying pressure Grab that fire grind, zero diamonds, zero chains from my brain is where I shine Hit you with them good lyrics, I ain't writing and I'm dying And right now I'm alive, so check it I reckon I shouldn't cuss on this record I don't cuss on them often because I'm applying pressure Grab that fire for my dress the EXM who does it better? No, I won't let up. Gas pedal fully pressed, I do the dash to the checks If it ain't assets, I'm never stressed I keep it calm and collect, most of y'all stuck in some debt And you got bad credit, I learned my lesson I was young and foolish, now I'm better I kept my head up through the stormiest weather Wipe my eyes and focus on where I'm headed We call that constant progression If we in Vegas and the option is betting on me You know we cashing out to the teller Now let me switch my endeavor, change up my whole approach Let's have a toast to those who do the most Achieving goals on the road to their dreams On the path to the cream, counting stacks With their team living lavishly, but still Actively aware that they can be a casualty So they don't lack humility and they don't dabble with degree Yes, they focused on the plan ahead They know impact will lead to bread And the bread equals success and less breaths Got some things to accomplish When someone hits my line, it's not about some nonsense We making moves, always grinding, we popping You know we not gonna stop and never no option But timing, the perfect time is right now Not caught up in tomorrow I'm all about making a conscious decision while I'm living Make a choice and I'm committed to that vision I pivot if necessary It's scary when you get caught in a position That isn't hitting you down bad because you're persistent in the wrong direction Just learn your lesson You gotta check it Audit you and keep on getting better That's the motive That's the method And I'm headed further Than I ever thought I could make it I wouldn't stop Unless my pause flat lines Like the doctor lost his patience, patience.